This episode is brought to you by Planet Broadcasting's 2018 partnership with Care Australia and Everyday Hero, supporting women and girls living in extreme poverty around the world. To donate to our campaign, visit planetbroadcasting.com or click on the link in the show notes below. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. We're back, Charlie. We're back, sort of, kind of. We're closer. We're, we're closer than we've ever been this year, but not quite close enough. Yeah. <laughs> what a horribly defeated way to start a podcast <laughs> after a break. Like, we haven't really burst back onto the scene. We've limped back into the podcasting arena. Ah, oh, I mean, look, we tried our best. People may think that we, we took a laissez-faire attitude to, to not putting the episodes up, but we like, were communicating. We tried to do that one when I was in London, which was a fucking nightmare. And then we tried to tee stuff up the whole time. And, you know, we're lining up three time zones and I'm trying to work out if I've got fucking Wi-Fi and all this kind of stuff. And so we tried, but we failed. All right. And kids, there's nothing to be ashamed of that. You know, in right. fact, don't even try. There's nothing wrong with failing. Just fail from the start and fail at the end. You'll be fine. Yeah, you'll be used to it. You'll have never peaked and had any heights and you'll just be like, oh, well, I guess this is life, what it's meant to be feel like. The thing that'll fuck you up is success. Yeah. You taste a moment of that, you can never go back. Yeah. What I'm saying is it's nice to fly in business class, but it's only <laughs> nice to fly in business class if you can afford to always fly in business class. Because the minute you've flown in business class, it ruins you for, for, for economy. Yeah, and we got on a good run there for a while. Like considering we have not been in the same room for, apart from one episode this year, I think. I think we did when, a good run. We were quite consistent. Yeah, that's right. We've, we've had a couple of podcasts on the go and kept them pretty much weekly, despite the fact that you and I have only been in the exact same place once in <laughs> six months of this year. <laughs> no. So fucking back off, everyone. Put down yeah. your bloody pitchforks. We're doing our best, all right? <laughs> <laughs> a bit defensive, and this is what you we? missed. Your favourite <laughs> podcast is coming on and just really defensively lashing out at you, the audience. Well, I love doing this show. I want to do it all the time, but there are some points, life gets in the way. And uh, in this particular time, I had to spend a bit of time in the UK with Jem to go see her family. Because when we go over... Um, it's normally for a short time and we actually wanted to have some good quality family time. Her brother got married. We got to spend some time with her mum. So I had three weeks uh, in Scotland. I had a, a sort of a week in Ireland and then three weeks in Scotland, which was all about Gemma's family. So it was it was a chance for me to cov- uh, to, to go away and, and, and do some thinkings and some self-discovery. And uh, I also discovered uh, a bit about my roots Um Will, you and uh, a lot of my other friends for my 40th last year all chipped in to buy me a, a ticket to Ireland. Not a one-way ticket. <laughs> you chipped in to buy me a ticket to Ireland. Uh, Our to... first suggestion when the email went around was one-way ticket. Yeah. It turned out we just got so much positive response to the one-way ticket, we unfortunately had enough for a return ticket as well. Yeah, people were so enthusiastic about the idea of getting me out of the country that I was able to buy literally a round-the-world ticket five times. <laughs> uh, no, my friends, uh, they all chipped in to, to buy me a ticket to Ireland because uh, my mother, who passed away a couple of years ago, was Ireland McSweeney, very proud of her Irish heritage. But as, uh, as, a, as someone who's grown up in Australia, probably like a lot of Australians, um, don't have a lot of connection uh, to my family heritage. My, both my grandparents on my mother's side were dead by the time I was born. So I've never really 
had any connection to Ireland apart from mum talking about it because she grew up with her grandparents in the house who spoke Gaelic and were very proud of their Irish uh, ancestry. Mum's funeral was an Irish funeral. We had a wake, traditional Irish wake. So there's all these kind of elements that have been around me that I've, I've been curious about. But I guess since mum sort of passed away, I was like, well, shit, you know, maybe I should do a bit of a pilgrimage back to the motherland. And yeah, now that my mother is dead, I should show some interest in her life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, part of me did think that. Like, there were moments where I was travelling around going, oh, this is great. Mum would love this. Mum would love this. And I was like, well, you waited two years too late to do this, pal. But in a kind of uh, ironic way, Will, it, it almost took her passing away for me to kind of find the impetus to want to do this trip. Because I think what I've learned in the past two years is, uh, well, not in the past two years. In fact, the whole time Mum was unwell, and then, you know, in the years since she's passed away, got a real good sense of my family again. You know, we're all adults. I'm the youngest and I'm 40 years old. So you don't really have a lot to do with your siblings when you're a grown up. Like you all start your own families, your own lives, and you go off to do your own thing. But then occasionally something happens like that where the family needs to get back together for someone. And, and I really saw the value for the first time in having siblings. <laughs> like it's one of those things you take them so for granted like and especially the youngest you know you fucking they make your life hell you know yeah sure they teach you how to ride a BMX and shit but a lot of the times you've been told you can't watch your favourite TV show you know like no you're not watching the comedy company we're watching something else <laughs> so it was important for me to, uh, to to go a bit back further into family history so we don't really like uh, we don't have a lot of um, that's not like I don't have a lot of cousins I can talk to there's not a lot of uh, McSweeney's in Australia that, that I, I have a relationship with but one of my cousins um, had sent me some information she'd done like a, a rough family tree which I'd cross-reference with Ancestry.com uh, what so, I love also Charlie is this idea like of a rough family tree I just yeah. like the idea that it was literally her and she's just gone like grandma grandpa <laughs> mum dad and there's like one thing off that goes dog yeah, <laughs> yeah blah 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 something something Charlie. something well there was because I think a lot of people who have Irish heritage there is a bit of an issue after the civil war I think around 1920 a lot of records were lost because the government sees a lot of family records birth certificates and stuff like that so there are a lot of people with Irish heritage who can't actually, uh, who can't trace it specifically to one area, or you may have like a county or whatever, but it's hard to sort of trace it to a specific town. But my cousin had um, pinpointed this one town uh, here called Kilgarvan, which is the south of Ireland, about an hour west of Cork. So Gemini um, flew into Dublin. Okay, so uh, just before we get to that, Charlie, because like yeah. I think. The majority of this is um, going to be like interesting stuff about you today. Um, yeah. But you mentioned Ancestry.com and I have in yeah. front of me, yeah. it's the Gruen, we did an Ancestry.com and we also did the My DNA, you know, where you kind of like mm -hmm. spit into the thing and they, they go yeah. off and they try to like, you know, work out who you're related to and all these sort of things. And, so then, on, and then on, on sell your data uh, to a data harvesting company. <laughs> Uh, absolutely, which was the whole point of the segment we did on the show. Uh, so we sent mine in under a fake name, so they don't have my data. Take that. Yes. Uh, but um, but I can tell you uh, what my results are. So yeah. uh, 99% European. Uh, now of that, Irish, 32%. So right. yeah. yeah, top category, Irish in my family. Uh, European West, 22%. Uh, Scandinavian. 19%, mm. uh, which is why I felt so uh, comfortable when we went to Ikea the other day. Great yeah. Britain, 16%. Iberian Peninsula, 8%, which is like, is you know, that? Spain and, you know, oh, around Portugal, yeah. around that sort of area. Why well, I yeah. like tapas. And then... Um, uh, <laughs> I love how each percentage is a justification for something in your life. Uh, and then the, the uh, one percent Greek, which is why I'm such a big fan of the work of Nick Giannopoulos. <laughs> You've gone with Comedy Company and Nick Giannopoulos. No wonder your brothers and sisters didn't let you choose what was on TV. <laughs> so, um, now, uh, Twenty Three and Me, they've they've set a pretty uh, similar you know sort of breakdown. Uh, the, they, so originally, if you go back further, far enough, Neanderthal. Um, so <laughs> Neanderthal, <laughs> Will Neanderthal. Yeah. Will uh, Anderson. So, 
Neanderthal um, 98, uh, here we go. Uh, I'm less likely to sneeze after e eating dark chocolate. That's one of the things they can tell me. Um, height, so my height might be explained by my Neanderthal background. Right. And I can see it. You do with... look like a bit like a Neanderthal. Like if we just push up your eyebrows a bit, just bring your forehead forward just like half a centimetre. I can see it. Carrying yeah. a club around, chasing no, dinosaurs you know and shit. Don't you culturally stereotype my people? I find that offensive as a as a Neanderthal. That is cu cultural appropriation of my roots. Um, Don't you hate it when you go to Coachella and you see all those girls walking around carrying like clubs and like saber tooth tiger skins? <laughs> um, less back hair, and I have no back hair, so that's uh, Neanderthal as well. And um, just one more thing: uh, Jesse James, the American uh, gangster. Cowboy. He was a Common gangster. He was a mine. cowboy. Wasn't no, he was a, he was a gangster. Jesse James. Jesse James. He was a. Yeah, he was no. like, when you say gangster, though, I think like Al Capone. You mean cowboy, like an outlaw. He was an gunslinger. Outlaw. Yeah, gunslinger. Yeah. Yeah. But he not was a like gangster. A, well, he was like a bank robber, like a bush yeah, ranger. Yeah, but still, it's not not a gangster. Like that's an incorrect uh, uh, term. Well, he was a gangster. He was a, an what, original what ga gangster. What, what gang was he in? He was in a gang. Was he? Yeah. What, the Jesse James game? The James, <laughs> Jesse James game. It was like Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. He was the main guy, but there was other guys. Here we go. Jesse, Look. yeah, okay, you read it. Yeah, Jesse Woodson James, uh, born September the 5th, 1847, uh, to April the 3rd, 1882. Pretty good life for back then. Was an American outlaw, bank and train robber, guerrilla, and leader of the James slash Younger gang. So there must have okay. been another guy called Younger. So they had like a collab. But I, yeah. he was the main guy. Like no one remembers Younger as much as they remember him. So it was like yeah. Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. He was yeah, the yeah. Macklemore and Younger was the Ryan Lewis. Yeah. It's like George Michael and Andrew Ridgely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. So you, yeah. uh, you, you could be related. So, he, so but are they saying that his lineage they've done dna testing from him and he had the same lineage is that how they align yeah him? that's right yeah right i mean that's interesting because if they like a casting a jesse james biopic you can literally go in with your dna results and say look i share like a lot of dna with this guy you should cast me well we talked about this on Gruen a little bit but we actually look a little similar mike how can you, you really? google some pictures yeah, of jesse james doesn't he look like Emilio Estevez? Oh, no, that was Billy the Kid. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's see what this son of a bitch looks like. Oh, he does look a bit like you. <laughs> he really does. I could see that. And he does look like uh, a bit like a Neanderthal as well. <laughs> here we hey, go. Is it I'm gonna... Yeah, go on. I'm going to read a little bit more. Raised in the Little Dixie area of Western Missouri, James and his family maintain strong Southern sympathies. Oh, okay. Oh, Ooh. dear. This uh, is going to be fun. He and his brother, Frank James, joined the pro-Confederate guerrillas known as the Bushwhackers. Oh, yeah. I love those guys. Uh, operate, there are a bunch of guys who just went into the bush and masturbated. Uh, <laughs> operating in Missouri and Kansas during the American Civil War. As followers of William Quantrill and Bloody Bill Anderson. Oh, shit. They were accused of participating in atrocities against Union soldiers. Oh, okay. Well, that's I, the, gross. I think this is a bit like Back to the Future 3, where if you went back in time, like Bloody Bill Anderson would look exactly like you, just with like a mustache or something. Yeah, oh, this is what I love. Despite popular portrayals of James as an embodiment of Robin Hood, robbing from the rich and giving to the poor, there is no evidence that he and his gang shared any of the loot from their robberies. You might say he was straight up gangster. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, all right. So, Ancestry.com. So, we got told uh, where we needed to go. And my cousin, I'd sort of been emailing her and she had been contacting all these sort of different family 
members from all across the globe that you'd found from Ancestry.com. It's a bit like that episode of The Simpsons, you know, where um, Lisa gets upset because she's got the Simpson fingers and she's worried she can't play the sax. And then yeah. Homer rounds up all the, like, the Simpsons in the area to show, like, what successes they could be. Yeah. It was a bit like that. Be successful. <laughs> yeah. It's like that story. Um, no, she, she had some information from a distant cousin who had done a very comprehensive family tree. And so she said that if you go to this town, um, about six miles south of this, this town would be roughly the area. It's at the foot of this mountain. It's near this river. You know, you should be able to find it. So we had a few days in Dublin before that, sort of drove across Ireland. And let me say, Ireland, beautiful country. Like, I know it's a cliche. People talk about it being the Emerald Isle and stuff, but it is genuinely gorgeous. Like, the, the, the kind of um, ignorant uh, side of me was like, oh, I've been to Scotland. I'm sure Ireland's like much of the same. No, <laughs> completely different. <laughs> like, not at all the same. I was shocked. People even sound different. Yeah. But it's beautiful. Like, it is so lush and green. Yeah. And it's amazing, everywhere, it? you, everywhere you go, like, it, it, it's, it's like... It's like there's, I don't, I, part of me felt like, is this, this entire country so perfectly set up for tourism? Because every town you arrived at, there was some cute little pub with a folk band playing and like all the staff were so nice and all the locals were so helpful and, you know, they can all tell a story and they're all quite funny and great, great sense of humor. And I was thinking in my head, because, you know, my wife's Scottish and I spent quite a bit of time in Scotland. I'm like, Scotland, you could learn a thing or two from these guys. You know, the way they kind of embrace tourists and stuff and they've always got to Rather than glassing people at a pub for barracking for the wrong soccer team, maybe you should, like, take a leaf out of Ireland's book. Take a four-leaf clover out of Ireland's book, you might say. You know what rural Ireland is? Rural, rural Ireland is what you've been led to believe. Yes. Like, you know, so what you've been advertised it is, is what you actually get. So the international yeah. reputation of it being so beautiful and all these quaint little villages that are full of charming storytellers and folk music... That's yeah. literally what you get when you go to those places. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is brilliant because it's what, they're on brand. Ireland is yeah. very much on brand. It'd be yeah. the equivalent of people coming to us. People must be so disappointed when they come to Australia and every bar's not like, you know, like doesn't have men at work. Crocodile Dundee. down under in the corner and Crocodile Dundee, like, you know, you know yeah. fighting a crocodile in the bar. Because that's what, Ireland is that. You know, you're like, yeah. oh my God, this is brilliant. I'm eating some potato and the cores are playing in the corner. It's like every children's book I read as a kid come to life. Like I half expected like just talking woodland animals to come out and start like singing songs for us. Like it was so amazing. So we had two or three days of like sightseeing uh, around the sort of uh, central part of Ireland over on the West Coast uh, to where we're Clifton. And then we drove down south to Cork. Now, Cork is not like the rest of Ireland. <laughs> like we'd had two or three blissful days of like charming locals and picturesque scenery. And then you get to Cork and you're like, okay, well, every town's got a Cork. I think in Melbourne, you'd call it Geelong or, you know, yeah. New South Wales, you'd call it Newcastle. It's, you know, just a working class town. But so we stayed there overnight and then we did our day trip out to Kilgarvan the next day. So Kilgarvan is literally one street. Like it is one of those tiny towns where it's been there for, 500 years and literally one street with a couple of houses either side, but there's nothing there. So we followed my um, cousin's instructions and we followed, there's only one road that headed south. So we followed that down south about six miles, found the foot of the mountain, found the river, found a bog. Yes, the McSweeney's were bog people. We live next to a bog. <laughs> I mean, literally the way you found my family's land was... You find the, the, the triangle between a mountain, a river, and a bog. <laughs> the McSweeney's were bog farmers. Generations of bog farmers. <laughs> yeah, literally. So we found the spot. We went out. We took a bunch of photos. And then we jumped in the car. And we're driving back through Kilgarvan. And I was like, well, that pub there has obviously been there for a couple hundred years. I should go in, have a pint of Guinness, you know, raise a glass to, to the McSweeney's past. And so I've gone in and uh, I'm chatting to the barman and uh, he's like, oh, you know, Australian, so what are you doing here? And so I told him, family heritage tour. And he's like, so what was your mother's name? And I said, well, she's McSweeney, but I believe the original name was Sweeney. And he's like, oh yeah, Nellie Sweeney lives just across the road. <laughs> and I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, the Sweeney's have been here for like, for fucking centuries. And so we walk out of the pub, he walks me across the road, we knock on this door, 
this sweet old lady, like in her 80s, answers, and she's like, hello. <laughs> and I said, hi, uh, I'm Charlie. Um, my uh, mother was a McSweeney. She was like, do you want some bog? <laughs> yeah. Fresh bog. And she did not bat an eyelid. It was like this happens all the time. Like I just said who I was. And she's like, oh, come in, come in. Invited me and Jim in, put the kettle on, started making some sandwiches and just launched into their storytellers. So she just starts telling the history of the Sweeney clan. By not the way, only that. I, I, I like to believe that you said it's like this happens all the time. I like to believe that anytime anyone comes to the town, no matter what their last name is, this guy yeah. goes, well, you're never going to believe this. Yeah. She lives right across the road. And then as you're walking across the road, he places a phone call going, Sweeney, yeah. today it's yeah. Sweeney. <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean about this entire country is so geared towards tourism because you see a whole bunch of Americans there because I guess Americans have a huge Irish expat population. And they really gear a lot of the kind of attractions to that American market. Like every pub, they'll, you know, there'll be a rendition of Danny Boy or, or something playing. But they, they play up that kind of Irish pride thing and you can't help but sort of get swept up in it. So Nellie was her name. She invites us in and she just starts Did like... Did say, it's getting hot in here, so take off all yeah. your clothes? <laughs> and then I realised I'd walked into a brothel. <laughs> No, she starts, um, she starts just launching into this huge story and she's got this very thick Irish brogue and so I'm, I'm sort of catching every second word but I did have that feeling of going, oh, fuck, like maybe this is just, she's got the surname Sweeney, like, you know, maybe we're sitting in a complete stranger's living room. But then she goes into her kitchen and she pulls out these two plastic tubs that are just filled with historical documents, photographs, birth certificates, like everything. So we start going through it and sure enough, there's my great-grandfather's birth certificate. There's his travel papers. Literally could follow the line all the way to my family in Melbourne. It was unfucking believable so, so we're just sitting there, and, I, and I, I, I said to her, so who was your grandfather? And so what I worked out was that her grandfather and my mother's grandfather were brothers. So I think that makes her... No, her father and my mother's father. Yeah, no, her grandfather and my father's grandfather were brothers. So that makes her my mother's second cousin that I didn't even know existed until I went into that fucking pub and had a beer. So I'm sitting there with like a blood relative. <laughs> it was insane. It was so crazy. So you she should have been like, uh, by the way, now that we've worked this out, can I have your kidney? Yeah. My kidney failure. And I really, what's your blood type? Well, I, once I sort of realized like, oh, fuck, you're legit. So I, I started asking, like, how did you get all this information? Because it was like, it was like a CSI lab. It was literally like she had everything in folders marked, you know, different families. And it's, the, the Sweeney's apparently started in that land, family of however many, probably nine or 10, I think was the time. But by her estimation, there are now 5,000 descendants of that one initial family. Like, talk about your fucking Irish Catholic breeders. <laughs> like, we literally left that land and just started fucking <laughs> as many people as we could. Let's just repopulate the planet with Sweeney's. And I believe it too. Like, the amount of documents she had of the amount of different families. Like, that initial family that uh, I was from was one, yeah, one of nine kids. So if each of those kids went off and started a family themselves and had, like, another eight or nine kids, like, my mother did. I mean, that's four generations of just like constantly pumping out kids. Like, I don't know. I'm sure Adam Spencer will get in touch and let us know, like, if that's possible that a family of nine could procreate to 5,000 in the space of four generations. But she seemed to think it was round about that number. But she had been in contact with one of the cousins who's a priest living in Venezuela who has done this complete, he's just retired now and he's just spending, spent the last 20 years doing this comprehensive Sweeney family line. So he'd sort of been in contact with all these different Sweeney's and traced them all down. And I mean, it was bizarre to see photos of my family in this document, photos that had been like legally accessed or, you know, he'd contacted someone on Facebook, maybe like a second cousin who had a family photo from a Christmas party. It was, it was amazing. It was like my own personal uh, episode of who do you think you are? But were you able to fill in stuff that she didn't know? Like, was there... Yeah. Did you have... Yeah, so now they've got, like, extra stuff in the drawer. Yeah. And this guy, you know, this Venezuelan priest can be like, you know, 
feel in your family, right? Well, no, they had information in my family. I don't know where he got it from, but he literally had, um, like, it but was. But he have I don't you? Know. Were you? Like, were, yeah. Was, was there information about you? Yeah, yeah, my date of birth. Like, literally, it started, it was a three page document. I don't know what kind of legal document it was, but it started with my grandfather, John, and his wife, Dorothy, and then their offspring, uh, which led to my mum and marrying my dad. And then, like, I've, I filmed all this. Like, I may upload a video of it at some point because it's fucking incredible. Um, but yeah, I literally traced down, and there's like my mum and dad, and then there's all my brothers and sisters down to me. But they were. They had my birthdays the 31st of August when it's the 31st of July. So that was the one thing I was able to correct. But, I mean, he got 99.9% .9 of the rest of it right. But uh, that would be amazing to them too, just for that family story to like, you know, go, hey, this guy just wandered into the village. But, you know, you've done a whole bunch of stuff that people could find online or sort of, you know, yeah. it wouldn't be the same with every cousin and every you know, brother and sister and whatever that you would have so much online documented material that they could then access and use as a resource to like link other things in together. Well, when I said that, like when she answered the door, she was so nonplussed. We're not the first people to have knocked on her door. Like apparently, cause there's fucking 5,000 Sweeney's that there's been quite a few Sweeney's come through on a heritage tour who have had the same conversation and knocked on her door. Cause I mean, I don't know, Nellie's very sweet, but she was in, she was in her, her 80s. And I think that maybe she, she was getting a bit forgetful about some stuff. Cause she kept talking about this, um, girl from America who came to see her and, and she kept talking about this girl as if maybe she was related to me or if I, if I knew her. But I got the sense that, oh yeah, so whoever, maybe it was a Venezuelan guy had, you know, maybe he knew, maybe he was a cousin of this girl and so he told her to come the same way that my cousin, because in my cousin's notes, she said, um, I believe there was a Nellie Sweeney living in Kilgarvan but the last known information I had about that was 2009 and she was in her late 70s by then. So chances are she wouldn't still be there. But she is still there. And her family still live in that county, not in that exact town. But, you know, she's had, she had six children herself and her daughter's just had a kid. So like the Sweeney line, we just keep going like a fucking virus. Well, uh, Mike Hell's done the maths while we were having that conversation. And if uh, each of the nine children, if it was like the maximum result, nine times yeah. nine times nine, right? That, that, that version of it, right? Times yeah. nine. Four generations would be 6,561. So right. 5,000 could be doable if, you know, if there's, yeah. there's been a lot of like big numbers in the, the McSweeney's. Obviously, obviously yeah. living near a bog does nothing <laughs> positive for your fertility, I would say. Yeah. I think my family, though, uh, with so many homosexuals, we're doing our best to right. kind of just bring those numbers down. <laughs> Maybe that was just like uh, like an X-Men evolution thing. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like we've got to, like, save the planet. We've got to stop breeding so much. So just natural mutation, half my family, non-breeders. <laughs> uh, but the amazing thing about all of it was, I mean, first of all, I was surprised by how like affected I was going and seeing the land because when you saw it, like there was literally nothing there. It was harsh, harsh land, bog, river, mountain. And they were there for generations before they got out. So Nellie was saying that my great, great, great grandfather, he had nine children and he realized because they were uneducated, uh, dirt poor that the best thing he could do would be to buy each of his kids a ticket to get the fuck out of Ireland. So he sold like whatever land he had or the sheep or whatever and bought each of his children tickets to the US and to Australia, the other two countries that were uh, people were, were taking immigrants. So apparently my great-great-grandfather um, was meant to go to America at first, but then there was a, a mix-up with one of his brothers fell in love with a girl decided to stay in Ireland. So he took his ticket and went to Australia as I think he was 16 or 17. But what I didn't realise was that when he arrived in Australia, he was uneducated, broke as fuck, and did not speak English because he spoke only Irish Gaelic. Right. So he would have had this immigrant experience that a lot of immigrants are having in Australia right now, which a lot of people who look like me are complaining about these people coming to Australia and not speaking English and not having skills, whatever. It's like, I mean, you only have to go back two generations in my family. And that was my story. And you would, 
I would never have thought that being a white Australian. I just took it for granted that, oh, yeah, like it's always been easy for me. But no, there was a point in which my family was so dirt poor and prospects in our homeland were so bleak that a family, a parent would do anything to send their kids somewhere in the hope of getting a better life. Right. A parent was willing to sell everything they had just to buy their kids tickets out of the place where they lived. Yeah. I mean, it, when it, it really puts things in this perspective. Like, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, my great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-great-grandfather bought his kids a ticket knowing he would never see them again. Yeah. to give his son the opportunity to have a great-grandson who would one day go on to record a podcast that doesn't make any money. Like, it was worth it, Grandpa. <laughs> I mean, he would be so proud, wouldn't he? Like, I imagine it's like The Lion King where I look up into the clouds right now, my great-great-grandfather, all my ancestors appear in the clouds, and they're like, Ah, oh, Jesus, what the fuck are you doing? Stop it with all the football talk. Ah, you're driving us crazy. I can do that material. I can do that. Yeah. Uh, me too, actually, because of yeah. course I am 32% Irish, so I can laugh at it. Yeah, well, you can do 30% of the, of the same kind of racism that I can do. Yeah, well, that's not too bad. I can just have... <laughs> I'll, I'll put up with that. I'll I take what I can get. Have, I can just have one to be sure. <laughs> uh... Yeah, amazing. So, and she was so proud too. Like this, Nelly, she 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 was telling me that um, of the cousins that she'd been in touch with or the people that she'd met, she was so chuffed because she had pretty much done what your uh, family has done and and just stayed on the land like for a, a generation. So she never got to see like you know the states or Australia. She's never really left Ireland. I don't think she just stayed and, and raised a family. But then, you know, she'd heard about all these like relatives who'd become like doctors and lawyers and heads of industry and B-grade actors and uh, podcast hosts and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, Charlie, you've played policemen and psychologists. (laughs) You've pretended to be a whole bunch of really important jobs. Well, that is that bit in The Simpsons where Homer finds the most successful looking one and brings him over and finds out that he just plays millionaires at parties. (laughs) That is me. But we may have solved one of the uh, longest running gags on this show, which is oh. about w- why I have hands like this. Yeah, tiny because hands. I no, asked not, a, no normal size hands, tiny fingers. Tiny fingers, yeah. So I asked Nelly if I could look at her hands, and sure enough, she had the same kind of hands, same hands that my mother had as well. My mother had the same kind of looked like paws more than anything, big palms, little fingers. Mm-hmm. And so I said to Nelly, "Do you have any idea?" why all the Sweeney's have hands like this. And she said, because all we've ever needed to do for generations is grip a shovel or a spade. Oh, well, I thought you would have adapted longer fingers to grip a shovel or a spade, though. No, you just, no, you don't need to long fingers. You just grip the palms around it. I think what she was trying to say is that we were labourers. We just work with our hands. You know, we didn't, we were never going to, you know what she said? She was gone, we were never going to be a penis. And I was like, excuse me? What? And she's like, you're never going to be a pianist. Oh, pianist. Yes, that's right. We would never be a, oh. a pianist. <laughs> As in play the piano. <laughs> I did um, for a second think an old lady had propositioned me. That's an amazing story, though. It's amazing that you were able to just wander into this place with those sort of directions and find somebody who had a file of information about you in their house. It felt like it was set up. Like, I mean, it was, oh, it yeah. was bizarre. By the way, happy birthday. She was an actress <laughs> that we yeah. all hired so that you could really have an emotional experience. Imagine if that was the case. Imagine well, if for your birthday, like we sent around the idea, Charlie wants to go back to Ireland. And then like everyone was like, oh yeah, I'll chip in, I'll chip in. And we had some extra money. So we're like, Oh, you know what? Like, it's nice to go back to Ireland, but what if he, like, you know, goes to the town and there's no one there? So we hire an actress. Uh, no, to, even to... better, you hire Ireland's greatest actor, Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. I mean, he can literally play anyone. Anyone. So you get so Daniel Day-Lewis get... to play Daniel my Day-Lewis mother's second cousin. 
<laughs> grandmother historian bog garter <laughs> for three years to get into the role. It was stunning. It was it was one of those things where it's like, you know, you we I was just hoping to get a, a couple of photos and stuff, and then you have that moment, and it really was kind of profound. It was like, wow, for the first time ever, I feel like. And I don't know if this is disrespectful to, you know, the fact that my surname is like Danish, Clausen. Um, but I've always felt, you know, like, I guess because of my mum and growing up predominantly with her, you know, as my, as, my, as my sole parent, I feel a bit closer to that side of the family. But it did give me the impetus to go, well, now I want to find out about the other side. Like, I mean, I don't really identify with, I don't feel Danish. I don't like, no, I don't look Danish or anything like that. But might be interesting now to go to like Copenhagen and find out, you know, what that side of the story is. I mean, imagine if I bump into Hans, you know, like I knock on a door and it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm Hans Clausen. Come in. Like turns out to be my dad's second cousin. It's like fucking hell. This is a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but I'd highly recommend doing it. If anyone does have like, if you if you have a, if you have some if you have the information because I know a lot of people don't like I've talked to a few friends about this because of my experience and I thought I was unique in that I didn't really know much about my grandparents or anything beyond that but from what from what I've gathered from talking to my friends uh, they're all very ignorant <laughs> about their family history they know their immediate family history but uh, you don't really know much beyond that but it's worth exploring because it, it it really does put things into perspective and. I don't know. I found it to be, I don't know. It just feels like I've completed just a, a bit of that piece of that puzzle. Yeah, I must admit, I've had, never had any interest in it. And when we did this ancestry thing for the television, I was completely blasé to the whole thing. But now that I've actually found out a couple of things, there is another part of me that's like, I always thought mine, because they, you know, what was, what is that show that they do? Uh, who do you well, think you are? Who do you think you are? Yeah. Yeah, so they asked me to do that one year. For if people don't know the show, it is essentially like a television version of what you've described. Then they go away yeah. and they, you know, find out all these things about your history, and then they take you to visit those places and yeah, sort of learn about your history as you go. And they offered me to do that show, and I actually said no because I was like a not curious about it myself, and B was like this will be the bo most boring episode of this show of all time. They'll be like, oh, so it turns out that your granddad lived on this road and his dad lived um, on this other road. And then, uh, yeah, your grandma lived over there and then her mum lived over there. Yeah, all the same postcode. This is literally yeah. all... They all still live here, actually, to be honest. Yeah, they're like, well, look, we all know that your grandfather lived there and your dad lived there, but look who's that. Oh, oh, it's Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> Playing your great, great, great grandfather. <laughs> Hello, well, <laughs> I'm Felix Anderson, or whatever your great, 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 great grandfather's name was. I don't know. <laughs> That's the point. But now I am a little curious, I must admit. Were your parents, uh, grandparents alive when you were born? My grandparents were, yeah. And my yeah. grand, well, my nan is still alive. She's 93, nearly 94. 94, wow. actually, maybe now already. And um, uh, my granddad, uh, Bill Patterson, he died when I was, uh, I think, 18 or 19. It, my granddad, right. James Anderson, died when I was in my kind of earlier teens. Right. Uh, and my, my, nan, uh, my nan on the other side, Alice, she, she, uh, she died when I was in my early 20s or mid-20s probably. So, yeah, I had grandparents around for a fair while. That's funny. I just I hadn't thought of that, but I just realised... Both my grandparents were dead by the time I was born. Well, sorry, both my grandfathers and one of my grandmothers was dead by the time I was born. And then my father dies when I was 10. So I've pretty grown up. I've grown up without any kind of like older male influence in my life, apart from my brothers, I guess. But that doesn't count because Matthew's like 14 years older than me and Jamie's 12. They're not old enough to hold that seniority, but... I wonder if that. Oh, no, it explains a lot that your predominant male role models were a fourteen-year-old and a twelve-year-old. That <laughs> that explains a lot about yeah. who you are. Well, this episode of Tofop is brought to you by Movement Sunglasses. Yay! And look at this. In honor of it, I've. Putting on my movement sunglasses, 
I'm putting them on. Oh my god! To help me read the required copy. Are they movement prescription sunlight glasses, or you just want the the copy to seem cooler? Well, it serves two purposes. One, I look cooler. Second, uh, to set my uh, this laptop up so I can Skype you with it, so there's light in my face. I've put it right against my bedroom window, which means there's a lot of light spilling in right now, so it's really hurting my eyes. <laughs> you know what the thing is? You've got kind of like a trucker cap style thing on, and now you've put sort of those sunglasses the, on. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll like stop you right there. Hoodie. I've got my outlaws on. Oh, you put your outlaws on. Well, it's funny that you should say that, Charlie, because here's the thing. You've got your trucker <laughs> cap, you've got your outlaw movement sunglasses on, you've got sort of like a... You know, five day, seven day sort of stubble. Designer, designer stubble. And then you've got, yeah, and then you've got like a black hoodie and a grey t shirt, and you really look like you've got the headphones in the ears so that we can talk on the Skype, but you really look like an undercover FBI agent. That's what you look like. You're trying to blend in with ordinary people in a crowd to stop the assassination of the president. Spring is right around the corner and movement is dropping all new sunglasses to get you ready for the warmer weather. Or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, the colder weather. Um, talk about the individual styles. Well, we have. There are lots of different styles. Mike Hal, I believe, has a pair of the John Lennon tight ones. Um, there's aviator shaped ones. There's all kinds of, uh, of sunglasses out there. Whatever shape of head you have, like when you try on sunglasses, Will, what do you find? Do you, do you have like a narrow head, a wide head? Well, I have a, a wide head, yeah. Charlie. Um, I have, in general, a big kind you of head, do. I think. It's and, like uh, doing a Skype conference with an <laughs> Easter Island statue. <laughs> You've gone undercover <laughs> as an outlaw to infiltrate my big head operation. <laughs> we think he's the head of the operation because he's got the biggest head. Well, I'm sure that even with your enormous, grotesquely sized head, even movement would be able to find a pair of glasses to suit you. They've got their go-to shades for all. The guys at movement don't just make great watches. They also make awesome sunglasses. And they've just released a ton of new styles. So, Will, here's my problem. Like, here's my problem with yes. sunglasses. I get all these cheap pairs okay, that good. look terrible. But every time I buy a $200 pair, I feel like I got ripped off. Well, you know what? My... my uh, my argument is different. I do have other sunglasses, but they're not so cheap, right? And the problem when you have not so cheap sunglasses is sunglasses are one of the most fragile personal items you'll ever own. You'll scratch them, you'll drop them, you'll put them, you'll leave them in a cab or whatever. Why would you spend that much money when you can get sunglasses just as good for movement for a fraction of the price? Ha! Oh, Charlie, I'll, I'll give you a real life anecdote about uh, buying expensive overpriced sunglasses and then losing them immediately. Yep. Uh, I was going to Splendor in the Grass and uh, I re realized that I hadn't packed any sunglasses. So I had to buy a pair of sunglasses, $400 sunglasses what? at the airport. You didn't uh, have to, to buy $400 sunglasses at the airport. You could have bought $15 sunglasses from the survey. It's a very good point. But I chose, Charlie, like an idiot, to buy an overpriced pair of designer sunglasses. And then I went to Splendor in the Grass and I went into the mosh pit at the Hilltop Hoods and I lost those $400 sunglasses on the exact day that I had bought them. So then the next day, had to buy a pair of $15 cheap sunglasses from some <laughs> stall at Splendor in the Grass. So what I'm saying is, movement should have a stall at Splendor in the Grass. <laughs> Well, our friends at Movement, yeah, the watch guys, they feel kind of the same way about expensive sunglasses. Are you talking the watch yeah, guys? Yeah, the watch guys. I mean, it'd be awkward if there was okay. two different movement companies. Like if one actually spelled M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T. These guys are the... Yeah, if this ad read was our friends at Movement, not the watch guys. <laughs> <laughs> they thought, screw it. How about we make quality, trendy sunglasses at a fair price? These things aren't plastic, they're acetate, and you can get them polarised. Which, I don't quite understand what polarizing means, but I think in layman's terms, it, it just it's, it's, uh, it makes the sun less ouchy. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed out that they were just layman's terms, Charlie. <laughs> Movement sunglasses start at just $70. These seriously are my go-to shades. And these have been my go-to shades. I have been traveling around Europe the last four weeks. Uh, if anyone follows me on Instagram, you probably would have seen these sunglasses making a few appearances in my feed. Um, uh, movement have a varied selection of styles from uh, sleek matte black to really fun retro round shades, which uh, Michael has, which is weird. I don't know how a robot buys sunglasses. 
Because he has to order them online and get them delivered. Couldn't freak people out if Mike Howell like... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it'd be very easy for a robot to buy sunglasses, Charlie. That's a stupid thing to say. Robots are in a classic <laughs> position to buy sunglasses. They're always connected online. This is an online company. You can get them delivered straight to you. Like, it's not like they go, we have to make sure that we pass this over to a human being. They're not checking if they're selling sunglasses, the robots. Yeah, well, they do, because there's always that thing. You've got to tick the box. Are you a robot? Yeah, but like that's the first thing you teach your robot to get around. No, it's not. Like it's not like you know every robot has an inbuilt system that says if you are asked the question, "Are you a robot?" you have to respond, "Yes, I am a robot." You could just say, "No, I'm not," and keep going. Isn't that one of uh, Asimov's laws though? Don't lie about buying sunglasses. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, that is the fourth law. Uh, Isaac Asimov's fourth law. These are high-quality premium acetate frames. No cheap plastic here. you got to see these. They have lots of styles to choose from. Classic, trendy, round, aviator, mirrored, polarised for him and for her. You're sure to find the perfect pair. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to movement.com slash tofop. That's movement. That, oh, God. That's movement.com slash tofop. I should co-host this podcast with a robot. <laughs> You know Movement for how they've revolutionised the watch industry. Now's the time to check out their sunglasses. Go to movement.com slash tofop and join the movement. I'm taking them off like the dude from CSI. Sunglasses off. David Caruso yeah. style. <laughs> you might want to you might, you might add that one to the pile. Uh, all right, should we do some letters? Yeah, let's do some letters. Okay. It's a great story, though, by the way. I think that is part of the interest. The, the difference is that all my grandparents were alive and lived near where we lived when I was growing up. So that sense of, like, family and all that stuff being around is something that I always feel like was there for me. There hasn't yeah, been, right. like, a gap in my life where I'm like, oh, I wish I could learn more about this. But... I guess now that you're getting older and those things that the stories start to die off and those people start to die off, there is a curiosity there. It's it was, no. that's that was what a great story. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. I and did. Then I, had, I loved it. And then I had three weeks in Scotland, getting fucked up. No, <laughs> that's not. No, no. Well, well, we'll talk about that another time. We could, we could, sa we could save that for another time. Okay. Uh, now, look, with a big backlog in the letters, I apologise. Um, uh, obviously, we were off air for about a month. Actually, you know what? Oh, well, let's have a bath. Let's have a bath. Can we have a bathroom break while I'm before we go into letters? Oh, sure. Yeah, no, no problem. Welcome back. It's time for letters. We don't have a snappy like name for this segment. Maybe we should come up with one. Like what? what letters, letters. We love you. Some letters. Oh no, hang on. That's <laughs> oh, wait a minute. That's it. Copyright <laughs> <play> broadcasting. <laughs> we could call it um, Tofop Telegrams. No. Tofopograms. Tofopograms. No. Oh, you're not. You're not making it better. Okay. I've just erased you off the family tree. <laughs> just rubbed you out. <laughs> hey, they've got a they've got a podcast. He's got, one of our relatives has a podcast where he talks all about this amazing thing about our family, and they listen in to the first forty minutes, and they really like it, and then they stick around for the letters, and they hear that, and they start crossing you out of the family tree. <laughs> Mike Al uh, uh, just told us a story off air about. Um, uh, having a similar experience when he's a 19 year old going into a town that his father grew up in and the woman behind the counter recognizing him as being, you know, related to his father. And he said it reminded him of that song by Pearl Jam. Uh, what is it? Old woman in a, in a store. I seem to recognize your face. That song. Elderly woman standing at the counter of a something. Truck stop or something. Anyway, um, which got me wondering, I, I was having this discussion with some friends while I was away. Have you, is there a song that you've heard that has just made you cry? Not because of an association with a particular event or memory, but have you ever heard a piece of music or a song and got so emotional about it that it's brought you to tears? 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, all the time. I, I really? I ran, oh, yes. To, mu- to music? A song that you've heard for the first time, the lyrics or the music, the melody just makes you cry? Um, uh, or are yes. you associating it with an experience or a girlfriend or something like that? No, I would say that there are things that are sad enough as a story that they would make me, yeah, the, yeah, I, absolutely, I think there is. I think um, there's, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but like, I reckon maybe the first time. Funky called Medina. <laughs> this is, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the Ghostbusters theme, you know, guys, like all the. <laughs> I mean, I am afraid of no ghosts. Hang on, there's a. Double negative didn't make any sense. <laughs> That's why I cried at the grammatical uh, errors in Ray Parker Jr.'s work. I was like, are you afraid of ghosts? Are you afraid of no ghosts? Are you, you ain't afraid, I ain't of, afraid no of no what ghosts? What are you saying, Ray? <laughs> I start weeping openly on the floor of a blue light disco. I mean, because um, I, 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 I thought about I, it. I remember I, I watching couldn't... Adele on a plane. You know, that famous Samuel L. Jackson movie, Adele on a Plane. We've got to get yeah. these fucking Adele's off this motherfucking plane. And so it was like... Some, Why didn't you uh, buy two seats? It was some sort of... When you're in the air, we've talked about this before, you are more you susceptible more to cry at things. But mm. I remember watching, like it was Adele live at Albert Hall or something like that. And mm. if you've... I'm not at Adele. It's not really my sort of music, but I was like, oh, this looks like, you know, I'm going to have a look at this, you know, have a check out Adele. And I was taken by the fact at this stage, I was not aware of the contrast between Adele, the voice uh, when she speaks and Adele, the voice when she sings. Like I'd only sort of heard her big, powerful voice on the radio. And I didn't realize that she had this like hilarious sort of, you know, Cockney geezer, like, you know, working class. Michael Caine. Yeah, right? Tight, and yeah. so she told this little story and she had her shoes off at Royal Albert Hall and then she launched into some like sad song about some, you know, boyfriend who'd done her wrong and I really, I remember weeping on the plane going, I hear you Adele. How could he, how could he do that to you Adele? But I see, I think that doesn't count because you Why? were watching it because you were watching it and you heard the story and stuff. I'm talking about just the pure sounds of something, the melody or the sounds like... Because the closest I can remember was I think when I heard, the first time I heard Jeff Buckley last goodbye, there's okay. a bit as they go into the second verse where the violins come in and there's something kind of emotional about that. And I do remember hearing that as a teenager and getting sort of like choked up, but I've never like heard something and just started crying at the end of it or, you know, during the song. Or maybe actually Bright Eyes' first day of my life. I remember the first time I heard that song, I was like, oh my God, that is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard, the message of that. I don't I don't know if I cried, but I did get emotional. And it was the song that we played actually, at our wedding. I reckon maybe like Nick Cave, Lenny Cohen, like some I, I kind of I can't specifically think of examples, but I I kind of remember listening to that sort of style of music and you know, I think so. I think there's been music that's made me cry. Well this this is probably a a, a good topic for Tofop Telegrams. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> if you want to send us have you ever cried listening to this podcast? <laughs> yes. If you want to send us uh, a message, you can go to thetofop.com and Mike Heller's put together a tab, a Hey Tofop tab. So you don't have to fuck around with all this shit about, you know, writing in heytofop at gmail.com. If you just go to tofop.com, click the Hey Tofop tab, the message gets sent straight to us. So you can let us know what songs you've heard that have made you cry. Now, I must clarify that the, the category I want is it's just the song. It's not like you were watching a movie and there's a musical number that made you cry or you heard the guy talking, telling a story, and then it made just the fucking song, preferably with no visual stimulation. I may allow it, depending on the circumstances, but um, it, uh, just, the, just the audio. Maybe if you're at a concert, but it can't be there's some preamble, oh, this is a song I sang to my grandmother before she died, because that's cheating. Just the right. song made you cry. So it can't be when they played um, All I Want Is You by U2, at the end of Reality Bites when Ethan Hawke was, you know, having that. Uh, anyway, whatever, guys, whatever. Um, uh, Will's getting choked up just fucking thinking about that moment. Uh, we went out the other night. This is the great thing about being in Melbourne is Melbourne has, well, I know, I'm sure other places have these events as well, but, yeah. uh, you know, it felt very Melbourne. Uh, we went out to um, a, a, a bar in Brunswick called Howler. 
uh, that is uh, was was having a Winona Ryder sort of film festival oh, in their yeah. band room. So they right. filled the band room full of beanbags, and then they're showing Winona Ryder films every night. And we went and watched um, Heather's, like uh, in beanbags, drinking beers, and uh, watching. Anyway, it was pretty. It was pretty fantastic. Oh, it was. I had a really good Melbourne's night out. Cool. Fucking so cool, isn't it? Melbourne yeah, is doing right. everything right at the moment. I feel like. Not everything, but yeah, some good things. Uh, Mike Hell has been telling us, even as a robot, he has a song that he cried to. So, uh, Mike Hell, can you type it up so we can see what, what song... Uh, it was probably the scene from Electric Dreams, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stephen Wilson, The Raven That Refused to Sing. I'm not sure I know that song. I'll have to have a listen to it after the, after the podcast. All right, let's get into mail. Tofop telegrams. <laughs> Jacob XP. Hey, Charlie. I feel sorry that you keep getting bullied by Will in regards to what rhymes and what doesn't. I've had this debate with my friends many, many times in the past, and it infuriates me. Now I have no friends. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to load you up with some sick ammo to fire his way when inevitably the awesome Clawson debate comes up again, which it has because doesn't of your letter. Yep. Awesome and Clawson absolutely does rhyme. It's no. actually a pretty solid assonant rhyme. You no. see, in fact, there are many times. Oh, so hang on. So what is it? Assonant. Yeah. A W S O N A N T. It's an assonant yeah. rhyme. Charlie, I'm just going to put this on the. You know, I'm going to put this right out on Front Street. Any yeah. qualifiers disqualifies it. <laughs> That's. It's like you saying, like you know, songs that made you cry. If there's a film clip or a story or an explanation, if you have to put a qualifier at the front of rhyme doesn't count. I'm looking for straight fucking rhymes and this is not a straight rhyme. I don't care about your qualified rhymes. You see, in fact, there's many types of rhymes. There's actually about 25 types. Nope. The definition of a one, rhyme is one simply... One type of rhyme and 24 <laughs> other things that aren't fucking rhymes. The definition of a rhyme is simply two or more words that sound similar. Awesome and Clawson totally sound similar, Will. They do not. Please, and then he wrote in brackets, please point aggressively at Will when you read this. And if Will point is reading as much it. as you fucking want aggressively at Will. You're still wrong. Which rhymes with bong and song, but not with uh, Tom. Uh, there you go. An assonant rhyme is when the vowels and the words rhyme, but the consonants don't. Yes. Only the con the, the, my whole point is that the consonants don't. This has literally been the point I've been making the whole fucking time. This proves my point. It does not disprove my point. When only the consonants rhyme, it's aptly called a consonant rhyme. Nah. When both the vowels and the ending consonants rhyme, this is called a perfect rhyme. Perfect rhyme! This... A perfect rhyme! This rhyme So what you're is saying what... is that awesome and Clawson are an imperfect rhyme. Not a rhyme. By definition, not a rhyme. <laughs> this rhyme is what most people think of. Uh, when they uh, when they talk about rhymes, and clearly this is why Will is so adamant that Awesome and Clawson do not rhyme, but Will rhyme. is wrong. No. Nope. Below is a link to follow Song, if you wish to follow long, up and learn more time. about the wonderful world of rhymes. But just nope. quickly to nip this debate in the bud once and for all, Awesome and Clawson, one hundred percent, without a shadow of a doubt, factually and with linguistic certainty, does rhyme. Nope. Does not. <laughs> Love this. <laughs> Nothing that you said. He literally, he literally said the thing that I'm talking about is called a perfect rhyme and then everything else by definition is not a perfect rhyme. So that proves my point, not his stupid fucking point. That's like getting a seven out of ten in something and going, oh yeah, it's an imperfect ten. No, it's not. It's a fucking seven, mate. Which rhymes with heaven and bevan, but not fucking... I don't know. I can't seven. think of it. Yeah, seven. exactly. Love the show. Keep up the good work, Jacob. <clears throat> yeah. All right, Jacob. Thanks <laughs> for proving my point, Jacob. I appreciate it. Next topogram is from uh, Benjamin. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> Benjamin Koalak. Hey, Charlie and Will. Long time listener. You guys have kept me sane during the late night thesis writing. So much so that I promise Tofop will get mentioned in my thesis acknowledgement section. That's good. Just a quick talking point. The thing I loved most about the movie Logan was seeing a gritty, retired Wolverine. My question is which other superhero would be good in that theme? Who would be the best casting? I'm thinking Idris Elba as a modern-day bishop, coming out of retirement to do some fucking sweet time travel shit. Keep it up, Ben. Okay, so what other superheroes do you want to see in retirement? That's a good point, actually. 
I, what, what superheroes do you know? Go the on. Hulk. I'd love to see, like, because I think a geriatric Hulk would just be like a get off my lawn grandpa. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like Clint Eastwood in that movie where he didn't like the Asians. The Asians, yeah. Like the Hulk would just be like, because he's, can't, you know, once you get older, like when you're a young man, you can carry that much mass, you know, because you're fit, but then your body stops producing testosterone. So all that muscular all that muscular form of just becoming fat. Like he'd have big like man boobs and shit. He'd need a man's ear. You know, he'd right. probably be like, he'd probably have a bit of gout in one leg and you could just see him like, Hulk smash, get off lawn. So what you're saying is the perfect casting would be a former Australian politician, Mark Latham. Yeah. Like <laughs> 100%. He has the temperament and the physique to be a fat, crazy old Hulk. Yeah, it's just Hulk, like Hulk not being able to Hulk up, but all he's doing is like writing angry letters to the editor and inventing Twitter accounts to like, you know, online bully people and stuff. And he's like, my secret is I'm always angry. (laughs) Matt Little writes, Hi, Charlie and Will. I put up emailing for a little bit because I had to cancel my paltry Patreon contribution a while back because I had a baby and that shit is expensive. And so I felt guilty. Ah, don't worry about it, mate. It's fine. Whatever you can afford. But a year or more later, I'm happy to contribute. Also, not- a year or more later, I'm happy to say that I've given up on the baby and I'm back to the book. <laughs> yeah, that six sucks. <laughs> Never stops crying. Just fucking shits itself and rants. Actually, it's a bit like your podcast. <laughs> a year or more later, and I'm happy to contribute and not just be a freeloader anymore. So I'm donating to the podcast again as a way of saying thanks for all the cool free stuff you've given us over the years. Sorry, I can't quite afford T-shirts or tickets to shows. That's fine. We haven't got any T-shirts or tickets really at the moment. Well, I'm sure we have some T-shirts on Redbubble. You should check it out. Fosdak's a great artist. But I'm content to forego that one coffee a week so I can give you guys a couple of bucks a month. Well, we appreciate it. And we appreciate all our Patreon supporters. In fact, if you go to patreon.com <laughs> forward slash tofop, uh, you can find lots of content on there uh, for as little as a dollar a month. We've got comic strips. We've got videos. We've got behind-the-scenes photos. We've got other stuff that I can't think of. But there is good stuff. If you're interested enough in the podcast that you want some extra stuff, you will enjoy the extra stuff that's there. And although, you know, we've got vans and, and movement coming to the table, Patreon is really, that's like, that, that, that's, our, that's our bread and butter. That's how we keep, you know, Mike Hal in, 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 in microchips and other computer Android can't think of anything. I don't know. Let's move on. <laughs> I could think of microchip and that was it. Couldn't think of one other robot-related thing. Okay, so it's donating to the Patreon. Um, you could say I am content to cut out uh, a coffee and contribute courteous, uh, courteous, courteously to your continuously... God, motherfucker did this on purpose. You could say I'm content to cut out a coffee and contribute courteously to your continuously contentious content. That's you, Charlie. How'd you go? Well, I fucked it, you bastard. <laughs> You knew that was a trap, and I walked straight into it. You know what? I'm happy for this. If other people, when you're emailing in, if you want to hide a tongue twister in the email, it's like a landmine. I won't see it coming. I'll just walk straight over it, blow myself up. (laughs) Uh, Thank you guys so much. Hashtag blessed. Oh, he also adds a little bit here. My favorite moments of the podcast are where you discuss movies or TV shows, and I wanted to ask how you feel since Bill and Ted number three has been confirmed this week with Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves both signing on. Um, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, didn't we? Bill and Ted three. So... Well, we talked about the fact that we like we were hoping it was going to happen, but it's been since confirmed. We actually haven't. I don't done a podcast. I think since it's yeah. actually been confirmed that it is happening. Top Gun shoe. Top, Top Gun shoe, uh, which is the sequel, which is just about <laughs> a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> it's Maverick is so devastated over the loss of Goose. He just flies around now with a, a shoe as his co-pilot. He's just drawn a face on it. It's like Maverick keeps referring to that shoe as Goose. It's like he thinks but he's not even he's not even a pilot anymore. He's just living in a trailer park. Like he just walks, stumbles out like drunk in his underwear and just climbs into this fucking log and he's got a shoe like nailed to the back of it and he's like, Come on, Goose! We're gonna fly a mission. It's like, oh god. Who is that guy? I never heard. That's Maverick. He was a pilot 30 years ago, but his best mate got killed. Um, okay. Uh, look, I th- we did talk about the Look, I'm happy for it. I think it's great. 
I can't remember where I heard this. It may have been the Weekly Planet, but they were speculating on um, who you'd recast as Rufus, because obviously that was George Carlin. He's no longer with us. And um, James and Nick were saying, you should cast a rock and roll guy because, you know, that's Rufus's kind of thing. He's from the future where it's a rock and roll uh, run um, society. And so who would you get? And I can't remember who they speculated, but I remember reading online, someone made a suggestion, which I reckon is so spot on, Dave Grohl as the new Rufus. Oh, yes. Perfect, right? Yes, absolutely. He'd do it. He'd be great fun. He's rock and roll royalty. And you can actually imagine Dave Grohl evolving into a Rufus-type character. Yeah. I think, like, I can't remember who I read it off or what Twitter account, but we've got to get that trending. Dave Grohl for Rufus. Hashtag Grohl for Rufus. Grofus, Grofus, not sure. We'll, we'll decide on a hashtag later, but hashtag Grofus. Uh, and he finishes off. Also, what do you think about Remy Malik from Robot, uh, Mr. Robot playing Freddie Mercury in the Bohemian Rhapsody film later this year? I saw that trailer. I thought it looked fucking shit. Just well, the terrible. problem is from behind the scenes that I think the other members of mm. Queen have had a lot to do with the actual production of the movie, which means that they've, they're focusing a little bit too much on the good, well, the a positive portrayal of his life or not a 100% honest portrayal of what his yeah. life might have been like. It was like, um, did you see, you might've been away when they did that in excess telly movie. And I remember I was watching it with a friend and he was like, for a rock band, they smile an awful lot because <laughs> right. it was the shiniest, most edge-free depiction of a touring rock band. Like, they'd have occasional sort of references to like, hey, we're taking cocaine and stuff. But it was not like what you imagine they were really taking cocaine like. Like, I imagine the hotel rooms after an NXS show in the late 80s were fucking like Caligula, but not the way it was depicted. And I got the same vibe from that Bohemian Rhapsody trailer. I'm like, oh, this all looks a bit kind of just polished and nice. Not like, when you see a rock and roll bio, you want it to be like, Gross, right? Yeah, yeah, you do. Well, yeah, I guess you really do. But maybe if the people who are now not as gross as they used to be gross are still involved with the making of the movie, they're like, you know what? Let's not let's not rake over how gross we were back in the day. Let's whitewash a little bit of how gross we were. I think that's probably what's happening. Hey, uh, Charlie, I need to go. Um, okay. But, uh, we have. Okay. Um, we're back. That's yeah, we're back, news. baby. Yeah, we're back. And so, uh, well, we've done all the plugs, haven't we? Do you have shows to yeah. plug? Uh, uh, Sydney, uh, October the 13th. It's selling very fast. Uh, so if you want to come and see We're Legal at the Sydney Opera House in the concert hall, uh, then I would get in sooner rather than later. Justin Hamilton will be doing support. Oh, the one thing we should mention before we go is oh, the, yes. uh, care, the care campaign uh, is still running um, at Planet Broadcasting. So all the details are actually at planetbroadcasting.com. It's going to be running until the end of August. So basically, uh, you can go and, and, and donate any amount, and there's some great prizes. Um, I'm just reading off Claire's Twitter feed here. So all the sponsors of Planet Broadcasting, Mac Weldon, Movement, Mr. Koya, Harry's Razors, they've all put up prizes. So there's a good chance that you could win something. And we are also working on some content um, for anyone who, any TOEFOP listeners who do contribute, maybe send, uh, send us your receipt or something like that so we know. And we'll put you first in line when we do our, our big uh, call-in episode or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah, we're definitely going to do something really cool for it. Sorry, we've been away for a little while, but we are back now. We're in the same country. We're in the same time zone. We'll uh, be back to more regular transmissions. And I should also say that there's Quantum Cop Episode 2 is up on the Patreon site. I was going to make it restricted for people who are paying, but I just think it's so great. James has done such a great job with the artwork that it's available for yeah. all to see. Uh, just go and have a new, look at it. It's so there's brilliant. New, there's a new video on the YouTube channel. And that's it. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.